What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. <laughs> Welcome to the Love Tennis Podcast with me, James Gray, and George Belshaw of Metro.co.uk. Is this a freckle I see before me? No, it's George Belshaw returned from Australia. I would say you've got a tan, George, but you and I both know that's not true, is it? I'm a bronze god, I think you're fine. <laughs> You're a walking freckle. It's very impressive. Uh, how was Australia, first of all, and your mini holiday afterwards? It was lovely. Yeah, very, very busy. The tournament side of things. I mean, I pretty much landed uh, to Djokovic and Murray playing an impromptu practice match, and then obviously everything that rolled out after that. So it was kind of non-stop from the word go. Uh, but I did have a lovely little five-day break afterwards. Were you just tooling around Australia afterwards? Basically? Yeah, I just went to visit a friend up in Fraser Island. Oh, lovely. It's okay. very nice. Uh, yeah, it couldn't have been, I think, a busier Australian Open, and I feel it's good that we've had a week of space just to process it and kind of let everything wind down and, and consider things a little bit more. I think yeah. that's important. Of course, the I think the biggest story... Well, I mean, you know what? I actually already regret saying this is the biggest story because I don't know what the biggest story is. But Djokovic's performance throughout was very impressive, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I thought it took him a little while to warm into it. There were a couple of really weird matches he played against the next gen, Shapovalov and Medvedev particularly. That was a very, very odd match. Mm. Um, I mean, Medvedev was one I'd said to you before we went out that I thought was probably as dangerous as anyone in this tournament. Yeah. And it kind of proved to be the real match that Djokovic played very strangely but Medvedev also played utterly bizarre. well he just disappeared basically didn't he yeah. he was playing so well I thought he was forcing him to some really difficult areas and then just went just tactically both of them were bizarre but, yeah um so once he came through that three hour match from that point onwards he was just untouchable really mm. and I he, mean he got a little bit fortunate and he walked into a one-legged Nishikori yeah I mean Nishikori's not beaten him for a long time anyway as well so I don't think it but he might have gritted bit. him out, you know. He might, he might, might have taken, to, you know, taken some more energy out of him. This yeah. is a guy who, no, you know, came enough. from two sets down to beat Karenia Booster, which is, you know. Yeah. But I never thought, even if Nishikuri pushed him hard, I didn't really see Pui taking him long. And then when you've got a gap between that and the final, it's more important to have a shorter semi. So, mm. um, but he was almost as dominant as against Nadal as he was against Pui, which was probably the most remarkable final performance I've really ever seen. 
it was an odd final, actually, in some ways, because Nadal looked, and I hesitate to say it, but he looked nervous. He actually looked nervous. And I think maybe it was actually you who pointed this out on Twitter, that he hadn't played any big returners in the run-up to the final. And so he hadn't had his new service game really tested. And I wonder if walking out there for the first time in 20 years, Nadal was actually thinking... I don't really know what's going to happen here. And I imagine, as a sportsman who is, as we know, an obsessive, uh, an ultra-prepared man, that's probably a very unsettling state of mind to be in, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he was quite quick to kind of bat down the idea that he felt nervous. He was saying, I've been in, you know, he's saying he's been all sorts of finals. He's won all sorts. It's not like it was his first final. He, He was trying to push it all on Djokovic and just say, this guy came after me from the first point. Um, and kill me, but I mean, I, I'm with you. I think if it walks like a duck a and it serve, quacks like a duck and it serves like a duck, it's probably a duck. Yeah, and it, whether it's more subconsciously, you know, I spoke with Carlos Moya a day before the final, and he was giving a really interesting insight into how Nadal wasn't confident enough to believe he could play like this. Mm. Now he obviously did believe in himself throughout the tournament, but as soon as you face against someone like Djokovic who returns so well who does I mean let's be honest he was doing everything so well he was serving like Pete Sampras for God's sake it was <laughs> it was a remarkable performance um, but to come up against someone like that if if there's a tiny bit of doubt in your mind about this new playing style then Djokovic is going to expose it and it, it, it turned out to be the case it was so remarkably one-sided um, and you just were always expecting a kind of brief renaissance from Nadal something to happen like some sort of surge in the third set, and Djokovic just kept his hands round his throat, choked him to death. He just would not let it become a match, really. Mm. I think the Djokovic and Dahl final was the one we all wanted and the one we all expected. I don't think any of us expected to see Lucas Puy and Stefano Tsitsipas in the semi-finals. Now, this is something the Australian Open does. It throws up, because maybe because it's early season, although I always consider it late season because everyone's still knackered from the previous one, as demonstrated by a number of injuries. It does tend to throw out some weird, you know, Carl Edmund getting to the semi-finals last year. Marcus Bagdatis has made a final there. Joe Wilford Songa, you know, guys who haven't necessarily gone on and had hugely successful careers on that level do tend to fly through to the semi-finals. So I know you're going to come in here and tell me that this is the beginning of the era of Tsitsipas <laughs> and that the Greek is about to dominate the world. Vicky would tell me off if I didn't say no, that. No, Vicky Giorgiatou, a friend of the show, certainly would. And, and actually, if you're looking for a Greek tennis journalist... It's Vicky, because there are no others, and she's absolutely brilliant and probably has had the best three weeks of her life, I would imagine. So I'm not trying to pour water on Vicky's bonfire, but I don't know how indicative this is. Great for Titipas's self-belief, although I don't think he's ever lacked that anyway, and great for his, his ranking points and moving up the world rankings like that, but uh, do you see as this as his breakthrough year, really? Is this the year he's going to win a slam? Well, I mean... the. I don't think it's the year we'll see a slam. You know exactly who I think will be winning all the slams this year. No idea. Apart from from possibly Nadal on clay. I mean, I said that before this year. To the extent that you are now called a Djokovic fan. (laughs) Yes. Well, I don't really know how to respond to that. Well, no, I'm I'm, I'm just putting it out there, George. I I don't think you'd admit to any fandom. No, I think I'm just kind of going with the flow. At the minute, I can't see anyone stopping Djokovic at any slam apart from the French Open. Mm. Um, so, So I don't think... City Pass is going to suddenly turn up and win one. But, you know, there were, there were all sorts of interesting parallels drawn between Federer's breakthrough back in 2001 and this match. You know, when Federer beat Sampras in 2001 in the fourth round of Wimbledon, 
people were talking about a potential change of the guard there. But in reality, only looking back now, after Federer's won 20 Grand Slams, did we see that as a really, really important moment in Federer's career? And it, it kind of felt a bit similar. Like, okay, Federer didn't go on and win a title for another two years after that. But Sissi Pass, that sort of win just suddenly elevates you to the next level, I think, in terms of belief. You know, not many of these next-gen guys have troubled the best guys at a Grand Slam yet. And I feel like someone like Zverev will feel almost very jealous of watching Sissi Pass go out there. Because he's got and more hair. Batter, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, go out there and batter Roger Federer in, in many ways. Like, play so many pressure points so well and have that kind of breakthrough, have the world kind of look at you you know Zverev's world number three but I met some Germans in Fraser Island they've got no idea who he is I mean (laughs) but it's it's interesting because you you need to do it on that sort of stage to kind of get that global recognition it's it's if you're from a country that doesn't have such a rich history of of tennis success all right there have been Germans who've won you know Angie Kerber Boris Becker but there have been a few of course Steffi Graf but they don't have the you know obvious history and and not lots of people play tennis in Germany so yes I can understand that if you want to become a sports star there you pretty much need to take a trophy home don't you you need to say I've won one of the biggest things in tennis not no but I've won loads of Masters 1000 titles and no one in Germany necessarily cares so I, I understand that yeah jealousy is an interesting I hadn't looked at it like that Zverev really doesn't like him and there were, again no I thought everyone liked Tsitsipas no he's he's described as a real loner on the tour like, he's really a bit of a kind of an interesting figure but then again if you come from Greece which doesn't have this rich tennis history again you're probably going to relish that because you're used to it you're used to being the guy battling for funding from a, a Greek sports organisation that doesn't want to give it to you the guy who's he has had to move country to really enhance his training so I suppose he might kind of relish that loner status, even if his Instagram might suggest actually that he's just desperate to be loved. Um, <laughs> we have to move on to the women's because that was an equally fascinating set of matches. There were so many different storylines. But overall, I was pretty delighted that Naomi Osaka got not what she deserved, but a slam that was unblemished. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important we spend a large portion on her today because obviously the last time she won a major we spent a large portion on her opponent yeah um, and it, and you're right it's it's a really really wonderful moment for her and she speaks volumes of her character that she can come straight back after that grand slam win to win another one um she's the first player since jennifer capriati in 2001 to win her first title and then follow it up straight away at the next one. Mm. So this isn't something that happens very often, I think. She's also like the first non-Williams sister to win back-to-back slams since Kim Kloisters mm. in, what, 2010-11. Mm. So this is a this is a monumental achievement in yeah. an era of absolute hegemony on the part of the Williams sisters. Yeah, and, you know, look in the last couple of years, we've had all sorts of first-time Grand Slam winners and none of them have come close to winning the next one, really. Yeah. Um, so... It, and All it's interesting when you look at her her tournament as a whole as well, because, okay, she battered Svitolina in the quarterfinal, which was a really impressive and clinical performance, but she dropped sets, I think, in every other match from the third round onwards. Well, I've, she was, again, a bit out of sorts to me. Uh, she had a couple of really tricky matches, like uh, Shea Souve, who's mm-hmm. kind of this tricky slice. Did you learn uh, to say that? I've, I've learned to say it in the past. That's I, very I, I'm impressive. trying to get my confidence up a bit okay. on it, but it is Shea Souve. 
Um, Tweet us at Love Tennis Pod if you've actually got a better idea of how George can try and pronounce that. <laughs> that, that is right. That's bang on. All right, okay. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see, George. Twitter is a harsh place. Sevastava uh, is also a kind of tricky opponent. You know, both of them very good tactical opponents. And Osaka didn't really deal with them that well. Yeah. But again, it just goes to this kind of champion spirit she's got that she just rallied back. She never gave up. Uh, possibly the most fascinating uh, moment was really in the final when she had three match points on the Kvitova serve, mm. was beating herself up, lost that second set, and you're suddenly thinking, crikey, is she going to have a meltdown crumble, and not recover? Basically. Complete opposite. Mm. And she was saying after, well, I just became a robot. I know how to turn my feelings off. I was just like, bloody hell, that's terrifying. I wish yeah. I could do that. <laughs> yeah, she's extremely... Uh... I don't know. I guess it's compartmentalization. It's what I used to often talk about with Joe Conta, and I don't really know what's happened to Joe Conta. And you know that we could spend hours talking about that. But something I always thought she at least used to be very good at was she'd lose a point or miss a shot. She'd jog back to the baseline, face the back of the court, do that little foot movement, and it was gone. It just looked like it had exited her head, as though it wasn't there anymore. And I always found that quite remarkable. And I think in tennis, it's one of the most important skills is to not dwell on your mistakes because if in the backswing of your forehand that mistake just preys, you haven't got a chance. It's such a precision sport, actually, when you think about it. You haven't got a hope if you start actually thinking about it. So I suppose that mental side of her game, and that's actually what it takes as well to beat someone like Serena. I think much as Serena is a brilliant player and is the best tennis player of all time, part of that comes with the standing on the other side of the court from her and having to deal with everything that goes with that with you know the enormity of playing against her the knowledge that if you miss something or miss especially if you miss an easy ball against Serena because you know she doesn't give you many easy balls and you miss one and you go oh I can't believe it now she's going to batter two winners past me and all of a sudden it's love 40 so I think her mental strength is perhaps as impressive as her her, her physical strength and what I like about her mental game is that she's not afraid to let things out she's a bit more like Djokovic so someone like Milos Raonic you might look at him play you'll never remember Milos Raonic just smashing his racket he just Mm. doesn't do it he doesn't want to show emotion Osaka and someone like Djokovic someone like Serena they're happy to let it out a little bit but then it's gone and that's almost more terrifying like (laughs) the idea that they've got this release they can smash a racket they can throw something around they can have a big scream but then know they're going to be so deadly locked back in and the moment you think oh I've got to them here you know they're in trouble they're really not and that's another kind of inception kind of mind game we've all got going on. <laughs> Osaka now has two grand slams. Yeah. Uh, how many do you think she is capable of winning in her career? This is one of today's big predictions. Okay. So I, I thought I'd look back at Capriati and see how many she won. Do you know mm. how many it was? Three, isn't it? Three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and number on 2002. Well, but, but yeah, to be fair, she, she won a little later. So I think she was like 25 when she won her first one. So a little bit different. But I, I just thought that was quite an interesting yeah. comparison. I mean, she also walked into two of the greatest tennis players of all time. Yeah. I mean, Serena it was a tough Arenas. era. I, it's a tough era. You can say that again. Yeah. I think um, I, w- I went on the radio not long after Osaka had won and I... I swung for her to win at least 10. Which at I least think, 10. I think it's a bit bold now. I've kind of processed it a little bit. Um, I, 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 I think the sky's the limit. I think what will be interesting is this crop coming up with her. I think Sabalenka's a multiple Grand Slam champion in the sure. making, for example. I think that's got the potential to be the rivalry of this next generation. 
I mean, um, that's the thing, isn't it? Because it, it's as much about the talent that she has as the group of players around her who are... Because Serena Williams is going to retire at some point relatively soon, right? Yeah. You know, we're not entirely sure when, but when she goes, you're then going to have this scramble to be the dominant force. And yeah, I don't think there are that many players who have the consistency that Naomi Osaka appears to have. You would think there's plenty of them out there who we think, yeah, on their day, Elise Mertens, Yelena Ostapenko, I don't know, Donna Vekic, you know, people who can go out there and on a good day can win a slam because they can get two weeks of tennis together. But how many of them are going to be able to do it over a six-month period on multiple surfaces? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you'd say this kind of period post-Serena is almost, we've had a bit of a preview with it, in the last two years, really, and you've seen Halep probably be the most consistent, dominant player all year round. But even her slam performances have been a bit mixed, particularly mm. after winning the French. Yeah. You know, she struck me as someone, it was such a relief to win one that there's almost a question whether she'll win another now because she doesn't seem mentally right to me. Like, she wants to go on and win more. Whereas Osaka, I look at her, she won the US Open. It could, could have easily folded after that, you know, what that huge emotional moment and gone away for the next two years. But she she wants more. She wants to be world number one. She wants everything that comes with it. She's going to be making a ton of money being a <laughs> Japanese superstar. Yeah. You know, she's going to be huge. Like, when that next Forbes women's list comes out, don't be surprised if Osaka's suddenly number one there. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I just think she's got a better mentality than a lot of the women, the top women right now. I think someone like Kvitova might win another one. I think Kerber can win another one or two. But if you look at the young guys going in, I think you're looking at someone like Sabalenka who could push her in the future, mm. challenge her. But I, I think I'll, I'll go for a conservative seven today for Osaka. <laughs> that is mean. I would go nine. I think I think seven yeah. is very conservative, given she's already got two and she's 21. Um. What did you make of the kind of crowd's reaction to you today? They uh, kind of booed you when you came back on court after that toilet break at the end of the second set and then cheered for that time violation. Uh, did you think they were a bit unfair to you? And did it affect you at all? What do you want me to say to that question? I don't know, just the truth, I guess. I think that's a silly question to ask. That, of course, was uh, one of the great names in tennis, George Belshaw and Maria Sharapova. <laughs> George, this was perhaps my favourite moment, being back in Blighty, uh, was watching one of the greatest women's tennis players ever uh, tear you a new one in a press conference. <laughs> quite quite unreasonably, I'd have thought. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty standard question, really. It I was mean... not the worst question of that press conference. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think she was probably more angry at the next one. Stu Fraser, Stu of course, Fraser, great question. sort of very innocently asking whether given that she'd had such terrible health problems that she had to take meldonium for all that time, and now that crucial medication was banned, was the health really a problem now? Very innocent question. I didn't really know what she thought he was alluding to. No. (laughs) No, But you... For me, yes. Did you get shaken down afterwards? I'm hoping some sort of Sharapova bodyguard came up and said, you, you will not be asking again. (laughs) No, uh, you know, I, I didn't hear anything from anyone else apart from that. I mean... It, it was one of those funny incidents. That's the sort of question I would ask anyone at any press conference when they'd been kind of roundly booed. And normally you expect them to and say, no, it didn't affect me. I love the crowd here. They're always mm. very respectful. You know, that obviously wasn't the case. And I'm not I'm not having a go at the Aussie crowd, but they're obviously very pro-Aussie. They want Barty to win. Yeah. Sharapova did leave court for about eight minutes between mm. those two sets. Um, and then they cheered when she hit that. Um, she got the 
time not time really serving what's the word i'm losing my head here violation what's what's the word i don't know it was a time violation it was a time violation i was right to start with um so you know they were obviously on her back and in that period where she was getting uh when the crowd were getting on top of her she didn't win a game in about 10 so Mm. obviously why do you think she teed off do you think she was just a bit grumpy and and you just touched a nerve? Yeah, well, I mean, to me, it just says, yeah, they were really annoying me. But what am I? What am I meant to say to that? Yeah. Because if if she goes after the Australian crowd, then <laughs> she's that only going to get lines in more. itself, right? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it is a difficult question, but we're not there to sit there and just have fun with these guys. We've got to ask them these questions. Yeah, it's not PR, is it? Of course, the other massive story, because you pretty much arrived in Australia and, and then it all kicked off, was Andy Murray's, is it a retirement, is it not a retirement, said he was going to retire. I, mean, I think what was most moving about it is the very obvious anguish that he's going through, but also how open he is about it. Or We don't quite know if he's going to retire, and I think what's obvious is that he doesn't quite know either exactly how, when, and, and, and how it's going to play out, because he seemed to say a few different contradictory things at different moments. You know, in that first press conference, he said, uh, yeah, there's another, I won't do the Andy Murray accent, don't worry. There's another surgery I could have, but that won't be to play tennis. That'll be for quality of life. And he's now had that surgery. They call it a hip resurfacing, but I think that sort of really underplays exactly what they undergo. <laughs> like, hip resurfacing sounds like sort of a fresh lick of paint on the hip joint. And then, <laughs> it's just a fresh piece of metal on the hip yeah, joint. Yeah, <laughs> well, sort of. It's a bit like replacing a wheel on a sort of rolling chair. That's almost exactly the piece of tech that they use. It's a big surgery. I, I know people who've had it. Uh, there's plenty of tennis players who've had it, and none of them really come back and said they had the same sort of movement. Now, I know Bob Bryan had the same surgery and is back playing doubles, but that's a whole different test. Now, how confident are you that you'll see Andy Murray playing singles again at a top level? Oh, God. The, that's the uh, million I mean, it's the dollar only question, question, isn't it? I think three out of ten. Yeah. Not, I'm not I'm not that confident. I'm not, not saying it can't happen. I'm not down in the kind of zero to one phase. But I think realistically there's a 30 to 40% chance we'll see him again. Um, I'm expecting I'd... an exhibition doubles match somewhere. Yeah, I... <laughs> That would be nice. I think he was very... In that first press conference, someone asked him, would you come and play doubles? And he was like, no. Mm. I think he would. I mean, let's be honest. If he if couldn't have a Wimbledon send-off, right? Yeah. You know, whether he plays with his brother or Nick Kyrgios was trying to <laughs> say, I'd play with Murray, that would be a lot of fun. It would, mm. You know, people would love that. They could stick it on centre court. That would be quite rare, a kind of first-round doubles match on centre court. But, you know, everyone would tune in for that. Mm. So I, I, I wouldn't necessarily rule that out. I wouldn't necessarily rule out him 100% being out of Wimbledon, but I think it's more likely he would end up taking this whole season off and maybe going again in Australia next year if really? he is going to try and come back. Really? That's my that's my prediction. But it just we just have to wait and see. You're right, Bob Bryan has recovered very quickly, re- relatively speaking. He only had the surgery last August, I mm. think. You know, he's back playing Grand Slam tennis less than six months later. But doubles and singles is different and you know there's so much grueling work on your hip in singles it's not just about being able to get through a best of three match you've got to be able to go through a best of five and then through potentially seven of them really Mm. for for andy now he's had this wonderful final match final in inverted commas you know if that and he said himself if that is the last match of my career that's okay you know it couldn't have been any better it was a remarkable contest he obviously lost but the way he fought back on one leg was something 
you know, everyone will remember him for. Um, I think he will, in the fullness of time, think, yeah, but Wimbledon's where I want to go out, isn't it? You know, that's the that's the dream. You know, that when you watch that interview of him when he's 13 on those clay courts in central Scotland, and he says, you know, oh, yeah, I want to be, maybe be playing Wimbledon in two or three years. That That's what's always been at the pinnacle for him, irrespective of the fact that he's won the US Open or an Olympic gold medal. The Wimbledon title is what's most special, so I think he will probably do almost anything he can to have some sort of send-off. I don't expect it to be singles, and I think it would be stupid and foolish of him to go out and try and play a singles tennis match at Wimbledon this year because it's just so unrealistic. Even if he goes out and just bombs everything and tries to serve and volley his way through it or something, it would just be... Futile, and it would be sad to watch, actually. So I desperately hope he doesn't, and that enough people around him have enough of a head on to say, Andy, let's do this the right way. You know, let's let's not go out and embarrass ourselves and <laughs> retire in the second set against a Latvian qualifier. Danger is, of course, you know, he, you could draw Djokovic or Federer in round one as well, and then it, you know, that practice match with Djokovic was... Well, you said Djokovic awful. barely got out of third gear, was, really. First gear would have been probably more accurate. Really, really? it was just so. And it, and obviously, look, we've seen Djokovic go on and destroy Nadal, so it's, it's not not anything to be ashamed of or whatever. But Murray was so poor he couldn't serve, and there were large points against Batista Agut where it was the same thing, and you were just like, oh, this is just not really what what you want. Um, but his competitive spirit does kick in and can drag him through any sort of match. And my, I think my favourite quote from him afterwards was. Yeah, I can hardly walk right now, but I could play tomorrow. Hmm. So, right. <laughs> could you? <laughs> I mean, that that really does sum up Murray, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, just a really remarkable man with perhaps too much will for his own good. Now, one thing we've perhaps talked about more than anything on the Love Tennis podcast is team tennis. Because in 2019, there are 15 different team competitions, <laughs> uh, of which none of them make any sense. But crucially, we now know the lineup for the Davis Cup, which remains, of course, the pinnacle, sort of, to some people. Uh, the headline from this is Roger Federer is not going to play the Davis Cup yeah. because Switzerland were beaten by Russia. They were without Federer. They were also without Stan Wawrinka. Henry Laksonen and Marc-Andrea Husler represented them in the singles. Jerome Kim coming in the doubles. Obviously household names in Switzerland, but <laughs> perhaps slightly less known the world out. When they came up against Daniil Medvedev and Haran Hatchinov, I think that was only going to end one way. I mean, this is a massive boo-boo, isn't it? For a, a relaunch of a tournament, and they failed to get the biggest name in tennis there. Yeah, I mean, the whole point of this reformatting of the competition is to get the biggest names out there, and they've in qualifying, they've barely got any of them. The one big, the biggest name they got out, actually, was Alexander Zverev, and as soon as he came off court, he said, I'm not playing, I look forward to watching my team in the Maldives. Wow. So, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's just... It's just going quite badly wrong from that perspective. Um, I, I, I'd i never say never to Switzerland being handed a dodgy wild card in the world of tennis and somehow being in the lineup. But Which actually, to, to be to be honest, I'm kind of not against. Like Obviously, it's horrendously unfair <laughs> and sort of really undermines the whole thing. But also, I kind of want Federer to be there because like he's one of the greatest players of all time and that's sort of important. So I, I'm, I'm really torn, to be perfectly honest. 
the other results, I mean, Switzerland losing to Russia, I think probably we could have all seen coming given the lineup. Belgium beat Brazil, so they're there. Djokovic is there, courtesy of Serbia, just about beating Uzbekistan. Yeah, it almost got quite ugly at the end. Thing. They blew a 2 0 lead, did yeah. they? Yeah. And then just hang on. Phil, yeah. Well, the, hang on. I should point out they blew a two in a lead, and Filip Krajevic was then a set down yep. in the final rubber. So yeah, Djokovic just about squeezing in. Uh, no other real shocks there. Germany, as you say, thrashing Hungary. Italy beat India. I mean, Australia putting their uh, problems behind them and battering Bosnia Herzegovina. <laughs> I mean. You know, there's not many surprises here. And crucially, as we say, all the big names are going to be there. Japan beating China. It's quite a fun one. It would, I, I'm sure the organisers would have actually quite liked to have China there from a sort of commercial perspective, but uh, wasn't to be. Tell me, George, when is this going to happen, this World Cup of Tennis again? Where have they squeezed it into the otherwise very empty tennis schedule? It's, oh, I think it's November the 19th. Oh, gosh. I, I will be counting down the days. It's November 18th, actually. 18th, so yeah, close. I know. That was a good effort. Uh, yeah, it's fine. I'll give you some credit for that. We'll edit it or something. Yeah. Uh, the other, but more much sooner, we've got the Fed Cup this week. Yes. In Bath. This is a sort of similar-ish format that the Brits are hosting. First of all, tell us what stage of the Fed Cup this is. Oh, cracking. <laughs> Got him. What stage? I mean, so this I is mean, called the... I mean, does it the... end? <laughs> or is it just I don't these... really know. It's like a Sisyphean tournament where you just keep playing, and if you're still prepared to keep playing in three years' time, you win. <laughs> okay. So I'd say technically this is the first of three stages Britain are in to get into the world group. Right. Which you know, may become pretty pointless because they're probably going to revamp the Fed Cup in like two years anyway. Right. So it almost feels a little less important now. Um, so the first stage is they're playing a group against Hungary, Greece and Slovenia. All okay. in Bath this week. All in Bath this week. From Wednesday. <clears throat> From Wednesday. Meanwhile, three teams... Oh, sorry, four teams, Serbia, Croatia, Turkey and Georgia will also be playing in Bath in Group B. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere else, where I've completely forgotten where it is, uh, it's not. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but they're playing in another country in Europe. You've got Russia, Poland, Denmark, Ukraine, Estonia, Bulgaria, and Sweden. Okay, so you've got eight teams and seven teams. Yeah. In we'll, we'll focus on the Bath tournament because it makes most sense. To kind please, of please, <laughs> please, God. <laughs> so if England, uh, Great Britain, come out of this group of four teams, yeah, they then play a playoff against the other group of four teams right okay so the top two teams go to the go through and play each other at the end of this week in what i'd call stage two <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. i'm <laughs> so with the, you so far okay. so the same thing's happening in this other european city i can't remember right so there you have the two teams going through and then the two bottom teams of the world group well the listeners can't see is there's so many hand gestures <laughs> going on so many hand gestures so then the two bottom teams of the world group come down and have to play against the teams coming up from the Europe African zone. Right. And okay. then what? And then... and then that happens in April yeah. and the winner of that goes up to the world group. So either the team that could come down goes back up or the team that's coming up could fly up and send the other one down into the Euro Africa zone. So this is... If that, Franz is Kafka could design a tennis tournament <laughs> it would be the Fed Cup. Honestly. You're telling me there's more after that, and then and then and then it starts probably. And then it starts next year. They'd be in the world group. So, but anyway, so the long and short of it is, this is the first home tie the women have had for about 26 years. Yeah. So the, very exciting from that perspective. You know, Anki Othavong we had 
on talking about this a while ago. Mm. You know, she never actually got to play a home Fed Cup guy in her whole career, and now she gets to captain them into this one. Um, I think I don't I don't know exactly who they're going to put out. Conta will play the singles. I I'd imagine Katie Bolter will get the shout for the other singles. I would think so, yeah. And then Conta and Watson in the doubles right. would be my guess. Mm. I think Bolter deserves a shot at the singles. Absolutely. It's sure. a great start to the and season. She great win over Makarova. And Watson's a little short on confidence, but Katerina, she's Katerina, on paper Makarova. probably the... Uh... Katerina, Katerina, Makarova. Sorry. <laughs> Watson is on paper probably the best doubles player. So I, I, I mean, I can't remember us having this much strength and depth in a women's game either yeah. for a long, long time. So uh, I think, I suppose it's exciting from that perspective. You're, of course, going up to yes. Bath. Are you going up all week? Yes. Wow. I, I've have you been myself... to Bath before? Uh, I have. It's quite a, a while. It's, it's quite very a, nice. Yeah, it's got some charm. It's at the University of Bath this tournament. Right, which I think is outside the town. I seem to remember it's almost like a campus university. Okay, well that's good because I've booked a stay in the town. Oh. <laughs> Bath's really hilly as well from memory. I went I went rowing there once and like just remember seeing the town up on the hill and then we were on the river. At least they've got Uber there still, if I'm really lazy. Have they? Sure Do you will. think Bath has Uber? I think everywhere's got Uber. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. I was in Exeter recently. They I, don't have Uber in Exeter. Oh, yeah, but Exeter's really remote. I went to Doncaster. <laughs> they had Uber. Oh, crikey. I mean, they don't even have running water in Doncaster. <laughs> On that Sorry, note. Sorry, Doncaster listeners. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's lovely. Yeah, it's, it's been good having Doncaster <laughs> listeners, but I do understand if, if you do want to go now. Uh, and we have to go as well. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Love Tennis Pod. Uh, we'll be back soon. We'll hear all about the Fed Cup from George and much, much more. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.